Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, real conversations with actionable insights into what consumers want and why. My name is Andrew McDougall, and I'm Director of Beauty and Personal Care Research at Mintel. And I'm excited to bring you our latest installment, chatting uh, today about or focusing much more on Generation Alpha, this kind of next generation after Gen Z, born in 2010 or later, um, kind of the next evolution of this digital native, the most diverse generation, so much to think and talk about and how this consumer is now, but also what they're going to become in the future. So there's really a lot to get into, and I'm really excited uh, to introduce my guest with you today um, is Jody Katz, who is the CEO and founder of Base Beauty Creative Agency. And she's also the host of the Where Brains Meets Beauty podcast as well. So welcome, Jody. Really excited to have you here today. Andrew, I'm super excited to be here. And full disclosure, I am a Gen X. Perfect. Yeah, that's very good to know. I probably should have said that at the start as well. I'm a millennial. Um, I do have a four-year-old son, so technically, I guess I'm a parent to a Gen Alpha right now as well. Um, so it's good. It's good to have that full disclosure out there early. I think um, because we will be delving into a lot of what um, everything is going to mean uh, for Gen Alpha uh, and what consumers they are, what they potentially will become as well. I know that you um, at Base Beauty have done a lot of work around this already, or you've been doing a lot of research into this. I've seen some great stuff that you've done. Um, so I was just wondering, is there any Anything that you're seeing that you wanted to sort of kick off with about this demographic, or is there anything that you're seeing about them lately? Well, I get to watch this um, as a parent, not just as a marketer, which is exciting. I have a 13-year-old daughter, um, and uh, my 13-year-old daughter has been part of my market research, um, and our friends and neighbors as well. And um, it is a fascinating phenomenon, I will say that. And what when we sort of look at Gen Alpha, as I say, we are talking about sort of children who are probably sort of zero to sort of 12 or 13 right now, um, and possibly uh, some may not even be born. So it's very difficult to sort of categorize them as what consumers they are going to be right now. But there's a lot of fascinating behaviors that we are seeing, and a lot of those influences of just the world that they are growing up in or, or being born into is also really interesting to look at. So I guess to start, I mean, how can sort of how can brands look to connect with this demographic in a sort of a healthy, age-appropriate way? Is there a way that we can do that? Well, I love that you're actually starting with a solution um, because I feel like when we present this to our clients and our industry, we start with you know um, you know what's happening, the phenomenon, and then we have to slowly capture their attention to get to like, what can we do here because it really is quite overwhelming to think about eight-year-olds obsessing over you know, $75 bottles of face lotion that have ingredients that will actually totally damage their skin barrier. Like it's such a weird thing to talk about that it takes some time for people to catch up. But um, what's I think beautiful about being in the beauty and personal care world is that we have an audience that's very, very eager to learn more. And they are um, really truly investing their emotions in the products that our clients make. So we have this beautiful opportunity to tell a story that's honest and true and meaningful and appropriate and healthy. And guess what? This target's going to listen. That's what they're doing. They're really paying attention. I think that's what's at the root of this phenomenon is they are watching and they are mimicking and they want to be part of this world. 
It's just true. I mean, I'm glad that you sort of you mentioned that as well. I kind of wanted to sort of get into that that first question, just because it seems like the Gen Alpha craze is already here. Like we're already seeing, as you mentioned, so many things about Gen Alpha skincare. I mean, social media is kind of awash with it, um, and I know that we will sort of get into that a little bit later as well. Um, but and it is worth mentioning as well. This is a generation that is entirely born in the 21st century, like no generation before. Much like every generation that comes before, they are the ones that are going to be uh, sort of the the next evolution of these digital natives. Um, living with tech. Um, but how do you think the, the sort of the values that these, uh, these uh, well, children right now, how the, the values that Gen Alpha and the digital savviness that they're going to grow up with, how is that going to shape their product preferences um, going forward? What we're seeing is really the um, most powerful part of the influencer marketing world that you and I have grown up in our careers evolving um, and leading. So as you said, this generation, they've been seeing it from, you know, since they were little kids, right? Like Disney Junior <laughs> influencers, right? They, they've um, been, a, this has been a part of their world for um, ever as they consume entertainment. So um, this is just showing us really the power of this world, right? Influencer marketing is not going anywhere and is 100% the influencing that older beauty influencers are creating, not for a kid target, but for, you know, their peers. These young people are seeing this and they want to be part of this world, right? They're, they um, they want to emulate it. They admire it. It's um, aspirational for them. So... This proves for sure that we are not leaving the influencer marketing world. We're just going to go deeper and deeper into what this means for marketers. It's funny you mentioned that as well, because I know that we've had conversations in the past and we get a lot of people asking us about influencers and is the influencer dead? And I think if you go back sort of five, six years, people were very much debating that. But again, this is, again, this next sort of uh, evolution or this, this next rollout of uh, social media that we have and this different connection we have means that influencers still, is, are still very relevant. And indeed, a lot of these children that are growing up now, they're going to be going into roles that probably don't exist right now, or they're going to see um, that actually the the sort of traditional um, routes um, for a career, again, they've got so many different choices they can take. So that's going to kind of mold what they do. I guess part of that also is a bit scary, um, particularly as you, as you mentioned right at the start. Um, it is scary to think about um, how their sort of beauty regimens, for example, um, are already maybe accelerating a bit too quickly right now. Or we, we have to kind of, as an industry uh, in beauty specifically, but also in other industries, we have to also be aware of the responsibility that we're going to have um, in sort of nurturing this generation. Well, I, I'm not a psychologist, and so I have like, you know, no cred there, but I am a consumer myself. I am a human. And I think what this um, really means is that people just want to be seen and heard, right? At like the most basic root level of like how we interact with the humanity around us. We want to be heard. We want to be seen. And that's what influencer marketing gives somebody, right? Like even at the um, most like lowest po part of the totem pole in like community management, like having a celebrity acknowledge a, a comment I made makes me feel seen. It makes me feel heard, right? So this is really what we're talking about when it comes to these young, this young cohort, right? They want to be seen and heard just like the aspirational influencers are that they watch every day, right? They um, they long to get that recognition and that acknowledgement. And that's no different maybe than like sports and having, you know, the, um, the team captain or the coach say you did a great job. We're all looking for this. It's just that 
beauty and personal care is an incredible playground. It's so much fun. It's so colorful. It's so dynamic. It's so exciting. It's glamorous. So what's happened is Gen Alpha's latched on to this, but they just don't know what they're buying, right? They don't understand that they're buying things and putting things on their face that are actually really detrimental to the skin health, right? So they're not using the products the right way. They're not buying the right products for themselves, but they're really curious and they want to be heard just like their aspirational targets. That's it. That's the interesting point as well, because it does feel like they're almost accelerating through the, the stages now of I'm wanting to get to the end goal without really appreciating the journey so much. So is there a way that, again, uh, brands within all industries, but specifically beauty, is there a way that we can actually help with that? Is there a way that we can educate better? Um, I know there's already a number of brands that are doing that very well. I've seen a number of social media posts just in this past week um, of some very big brands, sort of Drunk Elephant, The Ordinary, have come out and said, you know, that the very much emphasizing just how important an organ the skin is um, and how much we need to maybe be, particularly from a young age, kids should probably be thinking about less is more at this stage rather than too much. But is there is there a, a correct route going forward with this education and with this responsibility? Well, that's actually the whole, um, you know, um, strategic endpoint of the research that we did with Mentel and our own observations as marketers is that as brands, we have the opportunity right now to shift to an age-appropriate conversation from skin appearance to skin health, right? So um, the challenge here is you see Gen Alpha using products that are inappropriate for them is they're also mimicking the language around skincare. They're mimicking the language around fine lines and wrinkles. This has to be erased from their vocabulary. It makes no sense. It's totally inappropriate. They don't obviously really understand truly what they're saying because it's not relevant to them. But we want to really erase the language that's inappropriate and replace it with healthy habits, just like we want to teach people very young to brush their teeth twice a day, to floss, right, to wash their hands. Well, now that we have an opportunity to teach them how to wash their face and put on sunscreen. And that's what's so exciting about this interest in Gen Alpha is they're listening, right? Right? So now it's up to us as marketers and brands to give them what they need, which is education, edutainment, um, make them part of the conversation in a healthy way. It's interesting you say that because the way to communicate now has, I mean, it has evolved for all of us, but particularly for younger generations now, it has changed. It is this case of, I love that you use the word edutainment there because that is effectively how we're going to get through to people. We need to entertain them. That's why they're using TikTok and other social media platforms, but also particularly we know in beauty that's why they go to tiktok uh, uh, in particular we have research that shows that four in ten uh, sort of gen z's for example would go to tiktok because it's educational as well so that's a really important factor as well to sort of factor into that because it's almost a case of we need to because there's it, almost a two-pronged it's almost like a, a two-pronged approach here that is sort of maybe conflicting slightly in messages in that you want to introduce a good personal hygiene and a good personal care routine for kids and maybe an early beauty routine going forward. And there's some very good brands that do that, some very gentle products. But at the same time, as you said as well, you don't want to overwhelm and maybe encourage too much at this stage. Uh, but is that is that just the nature of children? Is that just the nature of young people? They're just always going to want more? 
I mean, I think we all want something aspirational. So when you're a little kid, you want to be a teen. When you're a young teen, you want to be a 20-something. When you're a 20-something, you want to be 30, right? This is just natural. Um, and we're always looking forward to that like next step and that next phase of independence and growth. So um, I love that Gen Alpha has embraced this. They're independently saying we want to be part of this world. But I do want to say that I don't really believe that 100% of these customers who are in this target actually want the goop that's in the bottle. I think they're most of them are really um, doing what we're calling collecting, right? Um, and this is something they've been doing since they were little kids. They were collecting Shopkins. So anyone with little kids knows what that is. These little tiny, like, I don't know, teeny tiny characters. They're collecting Shopkins. And they would have giant plastic bags full of Shopkins and they trade Shopkins. So they're collecting. And then they were collecting LOL dolls. And the LOL dolls have different, like, accessories and different shoes and different outfits to collect. So now they're collecting these really pretty bottles, colorful bottles, shiny bottles. Um, and they want to be part of collecting because they hear their peers are collecting. So, right, so it drips down. We, we have the older influencers, like that would say the early 20-year-old influencers who are clearly influencing Gen Alpha. Then I go to summer camp. Then I go to school. Then I go to dance class and I hear, oh, I just bought Glow, Glow Recipe. So now I want it, right? So, but it's about collecting, I think, really at the root and being part of something, being part of a community, being part of a um, makeshift club, being um, engaged in a universe that's, um, you know, something beyond me and my home and my family. I think that's really at the root of this. I just don't think it's really that much about what's inside the bottle. That's a fascinating comment you make there about the collecting, because I think anyone listening to this who has children in their life in any form will probably be aware of just how kids love collecting like toys and things. I'm just thinking about my, my son now, and he has so many toy cars like the little matchbox cars. He has so many of them, but he always wants more. It's just all about getting another one, a different color one and everything. So it's fascinating that that behavior itself is something that, again, isn't maybe specific to Gen Alpha, but it is something, again, that we need to be cognizant of in children and young people anyway, that this is a behavior that is going to continue. And now because of the exposure of information and again, with social media that is available to Gen Alphas, there is this big responsibility to make sure that we're not sort of overwhelming uh, or, or that we are making sure that we are educating um, in the correct way. I guess for a lot of that, um, a lot of that maybe falls on the parents as well, somewhat. Um, Gen Alpha, I think the majority of Gen Alphas are probably going to have um, either young Gen X or millennial parents. Um, so in with that regard, do brands need to provide more guidance to parents on age-appropriate skincare choices for their children? Because particularly at this sort of Gen Alpha age, a lot of these children will be relying on their parents for the finances to purchase these products anyway. So is there an element that actually it's reaching out to those parents right now to try and, again, help them with that responsibility of having a safe and appropriate um, sort of beauty choice for those children. This is a really important facet of this conversation. No eight-year-old is just rolling in dough that they can go to Sephora and buy whatever they want, right? If their parents are giving them money to spend, their grandparents, whatever, right? They don't have jobs, right? They're not 16-year-olds getting babysitting money or lifeguard money, right? These are very, very young kids. So 
Um, most of these parents, I don't believe, even know what they're buying. I actually have a friend in town who's, you know, not a skincare expert, not in the industry, and she was buying her daughter these adorable products, and she knew she was spending a lot of money, but it's what her daughter wanted, so she's like, okay, whatever, she's a good kid, I'll buy her whatever she wants. Well, that child ended up in the dermatologist's office with damage to her skin barrier. So I said to my friend, the parent, let's just move her, move your daughter into a category that's not, you know, on her skin. How about collecting nail polish, right? There's so many accessories and fun colors and little bottles to buy this could be something that's more age-appropriate obviously not on her face um, and we'll still give her that collectible a feeling and being part of something that's a little bit more mature so in an instant it was easy for this mom to move her daughter into collecting nail polish and using nail polish and having fun with nail polish so we have to educate the parents um, you know as an industry in beauty and personal care I think we spend a lot of time talking to ourselves right <laughs> we are really underestimating how little the general public understands skincare, understands ingredients, understands sans regimen, how to use things, um, how things should not be combined. So we have to do a much better job of really reaching out to those people who are just going about their lives, not obsessed with skincare and not obsessed with beauty, and give them guidelines, give them um things that they can actually say to their kids so that they don't have to be confronted with answering the same question over and over again. Can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? And this is what our research revealed too. We did social listening and we saw so many places where parents were just begging for information and guardrails. What do I say to my kid when they're asking for this? They just don't know. And I, this makes me feel um, like a similar conversation in elementary school. A lot of the kids um, would be getting iPhones and I would say to my kids, no, you're not, you're not getting one. But the question would be like again and again and again incessant the power of a small person asking the same question over and over and over again is very intense as a parent so you need to be armed with a point of view and that's what we have to do we have to educate parents on a point of view give them basic information so they can make informed choices and have that dialogue with their kids it's fascinating what you say there as well because it is that it's that incessant asking and and it is it's very it's probably worth pointing out as well this is very much still obviously the parents responsibility not necessarily the brands but it's, it's how brands can help um, and help with that communication that becomes really important because it it could become dangerous as well. I think it, you know we know that not all consumers, when they're you know full grown adults, understand completely the use of certain ingredients in skincare. For example, some may be irritable, but they're trendy ingredients. We may use too much concentration of them, for example. So it's difficult to, and it's really it, it's kind of highlights just how important it is. I think to make sure that we do get this communication right because, as you mentioned, your your friend, uh, their daughter going to the dermatologist office there is a safety element to this as well as well as the ethical element so that we do really have this this responsibility to, to help um, wherever we can which is very interesting i also think it's really interesting you said about this young generation obviously re relying on their parents because when you do get a bit older that is when you are going to be spending your own money so potentially the brands you use as a youngster are going to evolve and change because you're probably going to be have to be purchasing these products yourself, right? So I guess is that is that why we're seeing this kind of this dupe culture, this copycat culture really explode for those age groups of sort of 16 plus? Because again, okay, it's my responsibility now, my responsibility now to purchase these products. That's a really interesting question. Um, is dupe culture driven by the fact that now I have to spend my own money? Um, I would say, I would frame it a different way. I would say that um, social media, the influencer landscape, the ability to participate in conversations from afar um, has allowed the consumer to 
take pride in products that are not costly. So uh, when I was growing up, like people wouldn't admit that they bought like a dupe, right? That they bought the drugstore item. They would fill their makeup bags in their purse with all the like, the, you know, the fancy brand names. But back at home, their drawer was full of, you know, all the, the drugstore products, all the mouse products. Um, but now I think because there's so much conversation around beauty and so many places to take that conversation to be part of a community, there's a... Um, a clubby feel to say like, well, I could have spent $89 on this, but I spent 18. So there's a, there's a place for these voices to go and be heard and be recognized. Like this is exactly what I said about Gen Alpha. They just want to be heard and seen. Um, so now everyone can be heard and seen whether they got a steal, you know, a good deal, or if they spent, you know, quite a bit of money. Um, but you know, I will say in my, um, uh, my daughter's limited market research, I took her to the, the local mall with a very popular Sephora and a very popular Ulta. It was a very different crowd shopping at Sephora. It was a lot of eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old kids with parents filling the store, running around the store as if they were running around a toy store, right? That level of excitement and frenetic energy. And then we went to Ulta and it was not frenetic, but it was like 16, 17, 18 year olds shopping, right? They're clearly using their own money. Their parents are not in tow and they really have to be mindful about like, how much money do I have in my pocket and what can I buy versus the kids where it's, you know, just more of like a spending spree. Um, so there's, there's real differences, but I think dupe culture just has an opportunity that is much broader now because we can all be part of a conversation that fits us at the right moment, right? I can be someone who loves dupes one moment, and then it could be someone who loves luxury goods at the next, and that's okay. It's that kind of flexitarian approach, which is fascinating as well, because I think you're right. It's kind of, especially in a cost of living crisis, that message comes through quite clear as well. You know, wherever I can save money is a good thing, right? And then if I can save money in one space, I can maybe splurge or spend more in another space. So it's fascinating to see, again, particularly specifically for beauty, it's fascinating to see this kind of flexible behavior sort of continue because we do see that as much as people are trying to buy dupes or get the best amount, uh, sort of purchase price possible, we do also still see that the prestige in the luxury market isn't too affected by that either. So it's quite, it's really interesting to see that sort of flexible behavior and how it could sort of impact for younger generations. Right. But if I, if this is where I use my, um, my money, right? Like if this is where I play, right? Maybe some people play in automotive, some people play in video games. But if this is where I play and I spend the money that I've worked hard for, I can be both, right? I can buy that Charlotte Tilbury item and I can also buy that Milani Cosmetics item and they live together for me, right? That's the whole me. And I just believe that brands that are in the mass category right now, they just market so much better, right? So they sort of like take a page out of H&M's playbook, right? It's a $14 bikini, but you're selling it with like the top model and like the most gorgeous location, right? So the marketing is way more sophisticated now. So the end user customer doesn't feel like she's getting less, right? She's just part of another world. Is there a question then you mentioned about the marketing, which I think is really important. And, and obviously when we talk about sort of, again, when we talk about the dupes and, and there's so many of these sort of beauty influencer halls that you see on social media now where people are so proud of what they bought. But with all this kind of exposure to all this purchasing and this kind of, I want, I want, I want kind of sort of behavior that, that then comes from that. How important is it for brands then to promote positive body image and self-acceptance? If we go back to Gen Alpha, how important is it? 
when it comes to them and sort of how can they do this as well? Because obviously, again, there's, there's kind of a, a moral ethical side of this as well, where you want to obviously be appealing, but again, you have to do this in a very clever way because beauty has always had sort of body image questions over it anyway. Uh, but how can we play this now for this new generation uh, of alphas? This is a fascinating question. It's actually a topic that we're talking about internally and um, working with your mental team on. Um, this trend towards, um, actually the opposite of what you're asking, the trend of like, I want to be rich. So um, this mindset that um, my ultimate goal is to appear or feel rich. I don't know like what the you know, actual monetary equivalent of rich is, but um that's very much kind of like if I go back to like the 1980s, 1990s of beauty marketing, that's like the private yacht, the private plane the, on private island or the private resort in Capri, right? All these um, really aspirational, ex- really exclusionary images and situations that's very different than where we've been in like more of an inclusive world and an open world and a like a relatable world on social media the past few years so i just don't know where it's going to go and maybe the data that we'll work on with your team uh, mining with your team will tell us because i kind of think everybody wants it, wants it all <laughs> right they want to be like um invited into every party but they also want to have a party that is so fabulous that no one can get in right so um i want to i want to come back to you on that maybe we'll have another conversation about what it means in our culture that um a major desire is to be rich and how that impacts marketers yeah, it's fascinating to sort of, as you say, to have these sort of conflicting sort of mess or these kind of conflicting ideas as how are these going to work for one another. And I, as I say, I often feel that when it comes to that kind of body image, because, you know, these, these children as well are going to grow up in a world where, again, mental health awareness is going to be broader than it was 10, 20 years ago. We're talking about mental health much more now um, as consumers. So this is going to be a generation of consumers that maybe have more available to them to think about that. Um, it's really the, some of the research we've done has shown just how much kids love interacting with products uh, in beauty virtually and they love going on social media to find out all the trends but it's also really interesting to see that they actually value or parents as well of, of sort of five to twelve year olds very much value sort of mental health awareness mental health being as, as important as physical health so this kind of conversation around mental health is also really interesting um, and I guess it, it's a difficult question then for brands because how can they combine trendiness with this kind of holistic healthiness in their products for gen alpha how do they get those messages across because this is going to be a sort of mental health awareness generation as well Right. So your data tells us, and this is for 12 to 14 year olds, a little bit older, but that um, social media makes me feel pressure about my parents. So 60% of respondents said that. Um, So, you know, this cohort is um, uniquely aware of the detriments of these tools and um, how taxing they can be. I don't think this conversation is actually that different now than it was when I was growing up or when my mother was growing up or when my grandmother was growing up. There's like pressures in our society that bubble up no matter how much we want to resist them. Of course, the, um, you know, what's in vogue and what the target is changes over time. Um, But I just do think that like people are more equipped now to have conversations and take action, which is something that wasn't really possible for me um, when I was growing up, right? So there's 
um, resources are easier to find, communities are easier to build. So um, I'm hopeful that these Gen Alphas will be able to um, have agency over their lives when it comes to technology and um, messages they don't agree with and walk away from them. Um, you know, and just not, not just sit in it, but actually take an action, like shut off the phone, you know, don't participate in that conversation, go to conversations and people that make you feel good about yourself. So I'm hopeful that there's um, more resources, more tools in the marketplace now to help people evolve these conversations that are very difficult, really meaningful. It's, it's almost, you have to take the rough with the smooth, right? Because it's kind of uh, as much as the, 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 well, the internet and social media is, is wonderful for being able to connect a lot more. And, and as you say, the access to the information and resources is wonderful. It's, it's sort of the flip side to that idea that, okay, if we're overexposed, it's going to be detrimental to mental health and things. So I think it's really wonderful to see or to flip that to say, okay, there are dangers that we are aware of and it's not to shy away from that. But it also, if we can supply those resources, and I, I do think some beauty brands are already playing very well in that space with helping out with campaigns and blogs to try and help people talk a bit more. It's interesting interesting to sort of see how that opens up. Um, one sort of area that I just wanted to touch upon just before um, sort of wrapping this up as well is also looking at this idea of sustainability because ultimately these this again is a generation of, uh, of children who won't be as aware of climate change just now. But however, this is going to be the world they grow up in is going to have electric cars as more of a norm. They're going to have climate change conversations, um, probably at a much younger age than sort of previous generations had, because again, it's, it's very much part of the world that they live in. Um, so how or what role does sustainability play in those Gen Alpha choices? Maybe not now, but for the future. How can brands authentically incorporate that into their products or their messaging for this generation? Because do you agree it is going to be important? Well, I want to go back to the first part of the question, which is um, just to acknowledge that when Gen Alphas are posting about their amazing collection of skincare, they're playing a role, right? They're acting, right? They're just mimicking, right? What these older people are doing. So there's, um, I'm, I'm suggesting they're being sincere, but they also know that they're, they're playing, they're role playing. So, um, but I think from a messaging perspective of brands, I think these, this young cohort, they're going to be driven just like the, um, Gen Z's are by their values. So I don't know if I want to necessarily call it sustainability because I think that this is a, a word that has a lot of, um, uh, levels and layers but um if we talk about values i think it's a little bit easier are my values you know um you know around um being safer on animals are my values around vegan i don't know whatever the values are um that's i think not going to change and people are just going to be more committed to supporting brands that share their values um but i caveat that with like sometimes we just make choices because they're easy and they're the right price and they're available and accessible so i don't know that um we're robots when it comes to making these consumer choices but when it comes to playing in these areas of disposable income we can continue this cohort will continue this this trend to be choosing brands and choosing to speak about brands and advocate for brands that share their values it, yes, it's so true. It's uh, it is a difficult sort of minefield to tread through right now. So I appreciate your your answer to that. I thought was uh, was very good considering yeah, I did ask you quite an open question. <laughs> um, looking ahead, then if we do, would you just get our crystal ball out now? Um, I don't want to make you say anything you don't want to say. But if you were to look ahead, how do you see Gen Alpha's influence evolving over time, and, and what should brands do now to prepare for that future? 
Okay. Well, first I want to say um, as an agency and to our clients and our peers and friends in the industry, we are not suggesting that brands go out and hire eight-year-olds as influencers. So I, I do want to be clear about that because uh, these are children, right? And they... Um, they do not need to be um, skincare and beauty ambassadors. We can learn from them, right? We can study them. We can talk to them. We can do research. Um, but we, we really don't believe that it's appropriate for brands to be in business with them. Um, you know, what we prefer to do and our recommendation is let's work with those 22 year olds, you know, who are um, active in their careers as influencers. Maybe they're also estheticians, right? Or maybe they're um, going to medical school to become dermatologists. These can be our voices because they're still aspirational. They're that right, you know, they're, they're that cool girl target, let's say, um, but they're not children. So I think that's just a really important thing to say out loud because I do think a some brands will choose to actually work with parents and hire children, and we just don't believe that that's the right path. Yeah, the, I think the the responsibility seems to be a really. Uh, we kind of started with responsibility, and I think it, it's true. I think the responsibility you can't really overemphasize just how important that is going to be. And and as I say, maybe it's setting early foundations so that as you grow up, there are career paths there for you, there are options there for you to understand, to educate, um, sort of mentorship programs as well. Again, I know a number of brands are looking at sort of mentorship programs to help kids um, as they go through sort of the life stages. So I think that was uh, the. the point sort of making at the start about is very much how do you speak to Gen Alpha now? What are they doing now? But also we have a much bigger responsibility to think of the futures as well. It, it, we are still talking about children and those sort of behaviors are ultimately going to keep evolving. That, that, that becomes a really important thing to think about. So another thing that we're recommending um, that you can do in a safe way is um, collaborate with them in mind, right? Thinking from the R&D phase, um, you know, really early on, um, how do you, how could you build trust and relevance with a cohort that's just learning to wash their face? Literally. I mean, if you're a parent of a tween, you're just hoping they brush their teeth in the morning when you ask them to and that they're actually doing it, right? So like, these are really basic things. So, you know, how can we um, create products that are easy for them to use, that they'll want to use, that are really, truly relevant to their life to start healthy habits? That's what we're talking about. So I almost would replace the word beauty because I think there's connotations that I don't necessarily believe in but there's um, history there and I would say it's personal care it's taking care of oneself it's health yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting, important point as well. I think that that kind of personal care versus beauty is is kind of where they're at now. The beauty can come later, and that's where I think the responsibility becomes important. Also, interesting, you mentioned about bringing. I know there's a there's a brand Indu Beauty who kind of bring children into the R and D process again, just for that mind process rather than obviously actually, as you say, sort of getting sort of influences and things. And so there is a lot of responsible brands already out there doing things, and it's going to be interesting to see. And it is it is a minefield to sort of think about what you can do and how you do it. Are there any sort of key takeaways that you would give? Um, I know that we've not been speaking long, but are there any sort of key takeaways that you would give um, about Gen Alpha for, for sort of brands that, that might be listening or thinking about, okay, what do we do about this generation? For sure. One is let's frame your conversation internally to emphasize empowerment, self-esteem, and health, right? We want to build healthy habits. So it has to be around not like, how do we sell more stuff? Like, I just don't think that should be the conversation. Um, let's talk about like, how do we speak to a young cohort and their parents in an empowering, healthy way? 
The second thing would be let's um, let's flip the script on what we're calling like beauty peer pressure. Like, oh, so and so on TikTok has these has thousands of dollars worth of skincare, and look at her skincare cabinet, and she you know has all the the hot products. And let's find a way to use um, all of our talents and marketing and creating TikTok cool products. Let's use those for towards products that are actually appropriate for young people, right? So um, we all know the toolbox, the marketing toolbox for getting something to be hot and trending. Let's apply that to a, you know, a gentle cleanser. Let's apply that to a gentle sunscreen. Um, and then the third thing, and we talked a lot about this, but it's really critical is that edutainment education, but we're not forgetting the parents. The parents are, you know, a force here. And guess what? If we can educate the parents on healthy skin, ha skin habits for their kids, then we're also simultaneously educating them on healthy skin habits for themselves, right? So it's like a two for one. Um, so we're going to educate, we're going to ed edutain, um, we're going to find parents where parents are, we're going to find um, kids where they are in gaming, interactive elements, you know, um, wherever they're playing right now. Um, and we're going to make sure that we're putting those healthy messages out there. No, thank you. You've kind of wrapped that up absolutely perfect. I think, as, as I say, responsibility seems to be one of the key themes that we've been talking about. And I think we are hopefully going to sort of get that. What I love that you said earlier as well is about almost for Gen Alphas now, personal care is the most important thing and the beauty comes later. So it's, it is, I, as I say, I think as an industry, we're going in the right direction with it anyway. But it is just, as you said, it's kind of important. It's critical to understand and recognize that that is the way that we should be doing things. Um, we are kind of, as a world, moving towards being a bit more mindful about how much we consume anyway. So particularly for younger generations, this becomes um, really important. Um, unfortunately, I think we've possibly run out of time. I, I feel like I could speak to you forever. So I feel like maybe we could get you on the podcast again to have another conversation uh, about other things. Uh, but thank you so much uh, for all of your insights today. It's been fascinating to hear from you, Jody. Andrew, it's super fun to talk with you about this. I think I'll come back to you with a list of topics because there's so much that we talk about here at Beast Beauty that we'd have a lot of fun chatting with you about. That sounds good. I'm going to hold you to that as well. So thank no, thank you once again uh, for being involved in the podcast today. And thank you for your, your wonderful insights uh, on Gen Alpha. It really has been a really interesting time spent with you. And thank you very much uh, to everyone for listening as well. Uh, the conversation doesn't end here. You can head over to Mintel's LinkedIn or Instagram pages and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts on Gen Alpha as well and sort of continue this uh, conversation rolling on. Uh, if you want to know more about Mintel, uh, you can visit Mintel.com. Uh, you can sign up to become a member of our free Mintel Spotlight community as well. And you can make sure you never miss an episode as well by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, but all that's left for me to say is thank you, big thank you again to Jody. Um, goodbye for now, and we'll catch you the next time for a new episode of Little Conversation. Mm -hmm.